Some weeks ago, my family got to go to the beach for a few days and being able just to stand on the balcony of uh, that hotel room and look out over the ocean and feel that ocean breeze, that's, that's refreshing. brings a sense of happiness, a sense of joy to your soul. The same could be said for the mountains. I, I think I love the mountains even more than, than the ocean. Uh, sometimes when I picture what would be an ideal day, uh, I picture sitting by a, a mountain waterfall and a, maybe a stream flowing by, sitting in a nice wooden swing with a good book and uh, maybe the kids playing around. And, um, but what do you picture? What, what's an ideal day for you? What, what makes you happy? Uh, those of you who know me at all know that I do love books. And when a book can take my mind and my heart into the glories of God, that exhilarates me, that, that, that thrills me. Um, sometimes I hear people say, uh, uh, I just don't like reading. And what I think is, you must not have read the right books. Because if you've read the right books, how can you not enjoy being taken into the glories of God? Uh, a little less spiritual. Uh, I've discovered recently, though I am trying to lose weight and practice some moderation, I have found the joy of Cherry Garcia ice cream. So if you haven't decided what to bring tonight. Uh, th- this was something I hadn't tried before until we were, we were at the beach and uh, they had a Ben and Jerry's there. and um, It was amazing. A bit of, heaven, bit of heaven on earth. So what about you? What, what makes you happy? Well, ultimately, of course, our greatest delight can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else in this world has the power to grip your heart and to flood your soul with joy and to satisfy you perfectly and forever. Only Christ can do that. And he can do that because of who he is. When we think about his wisdom, his love, his power, his majesty, his mercy, his his strength, his tenderness, his gentleness... As we dwell on who Christ is, our hearts warm inside of us. We we rejoice to love Him and to call Him our Savior. When we think about this perfect God-man and how He relates to us, our joy rises even higher. That He is our bridegroom. That He is the vine and we are the branches and we're united together and we draw all that we need from Him. That He is the well of living water that never runs dry. That we are so close to this perfect one that it can be said that we are part of His body. When we are thinking and feeling rightly, the lips of the Christian proclaim that Jesus Christ is the fairest of ten thousand. Altogether desirable, the man of sorrows and yet the Lord of glory. And all of the highest delights of this earth exist as just a hint of the kind of delight that we can know right now in our fellowship with Jesus and that we will know in fullness on that day when we close our eyes on this earth and we open our eyes to behold his face in that other world. This morning I come before you with a word, particularly for for men. Uh, This is a word especially for those who are husbands. It's a word especially for those who are fathers. It's a word for those who may be husbands in the future. So boys, teens, this is a word for you. 
Ladies, don't check out on me. Uh, you will find principles here that will help you and apply to you. But, but since it is Father's Day, I, I do want to speak directly to, to the men in the room. And here is my call this morning. I am calling the husbands and fathers in this room to take delight in your wife and kids. I am calling on you men to find happiness and deep joy in the gift of your dear wife and your precious children. However long you've been married, whether it's been 50 days or 50 years, I am calling you to take fresh delight in the gift of your wife. Whatever age your children may be, I am calling you to delight in them and to find joy in them. Or to put it another way, this message this morning is a call for the men in this room to be family men. Family-oriented men. I am longing for the men of this church to love their families, rejoice in their families, find deep satisfaction in their families. Men, are you a family man? By choice. For the glory of Jesus Christ. So look with me at Genesis 2, beginning in verse 18. Genesis 2, beginning in verse 18. This is the very word of God. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Three things to note here. Three things to note. The first is that this passage records for us the beginning of the human family. This is the institution by God of the family. Adam and Eve... Joined together as man and wife, by God, formed the first human family. The second thing to note is that this first family and this passage in particular is meant to be paradigmatic of all future families. Paradigmatic, paradigmatic sets the paradigm for all future families. This family sets the paradigm, the model, the picture of what a family is. The family isn't man's idea. The family is God's idea. And so far, every attempt by men to alter the family, to rethink the family, to redefine the family has led to disastrous consequences. 
The refugees of these redefined families are now all around us, and their lives are aching because of what they lack by having not been a part of a biblically defined family. When Jesus in the New Testament was asked about divorce, it was to this passage that he went to for his answer. In the mind of Christ, this passage of Scripture is to be our foundation, our touchstone for all of our thinking about gender, about marriage, about family. This passage is foundational for us. Third observation. Not only is the nature of this marriage meant to be paradigmatic, but so is Adam's joy in receiving his wife. In other words, we're not simply to look at this passage and to note that marriage is to be between one man and one woman joined to be- together by God for a lifetime. We, we need to see that here. That's important. That's very important. We need to see that that's here. But we cannot stop there. For also in this passage, we see the joy of Adam. As he receives his wife. We see Adam breaking out into song. It is the first song of the human race. The first song ever composed by man. And what was this song about? It was about the man's joy in his new wife. We see Adam overcome by this precious gift. We see Adam receiving Eve as a valuable gift, a a priceless gift. And in Ephesians 5, we find God calling husbands to cherish, to cherish their wives. So according to the Bible, unless God gives you the unique and awesome gift of long-term singleness for the glory of Christ, you men are to be family men. And not only is your family structure to be modeled after Scripture, but so is your delight in the gift of your wife and your kids. Men in this room, as you think about your wife, as you think about your kids, are you moved to singing? Do you break out in song? So the doctrine I set before us this morning is a simple doctrine, but I think it's a much-needed doctrine. Here is our doctrine for this morning's sermon from this text. It is good for a man to delight in his wife and children. It is fitting, it is proper, it is appropriate, it is right, it is good for a man to delight in his wife and children. And so many men are living with a different attitude. So many men are living in dissatisfaction with their families. So many men are living in frustration with their families. For many men, their default attitude towards their wife, towards their kids, is one of anger or disappointment or resentment or even selfishness. Many men disconnect themselves from their families, not necessarily by leaving the family, but by disconnecting emotionally. The man begins to find his happiness in other things outside the home, and suddenly football or golf or hunting or business or success or notoriety, whatever it may be, 
it begins to take hold of the man's heart so that he begins to place his family underneath his delight in those things and his desire for those things. When his family helps him achieve those things, he's pleased with his family. And when his family becomes an obstacle to him achieving those things, he becomes frustrated and angry and bitter. My friends, this passage is our touchstone. We are taught here what our default attitude is to be towards our wife and children. Our default attitude towards our wife and children should be one of joy. More than anything else, your wife should know this, husband. Your wife should know, my husband prizes me. And fathers, more than anything else, your kids should know this. My dad loves being my dad. I make my dad happy. Let me give you some reasons why this is so important that men take delight in their families. Number one, this is the example that God himself has set for us. So consider Christ. Consider Christ's attitude towards his bride. All of our marriages, for those of us who are married, all of our marriages reflect the marriage of Christ and his bride. That's the only marriage that's going to last forever. The only marriage that will last into eternity is the marriage of Christ to his church. It's the ultimate marriage. It's our model. How does Christ feel about his bride? He rejoices in her. He is making her holy so that on that great wedding day, she will be presented to him in spotless beauty. And Jesus Christ will sing over his bride. The second Adam will receive his new Eve from the hand of the father and he will rejoice with singing. Jesus Christ loves his bride. Why does he love us? Why does Jesus Christ rejoice in his people so much? Is it because we're so awesome? It's because we're just so amazing. Well, on that day, we will be pretty awesome and amazing. Because Jesus Christ will have removed all sin and all wickedness from our lives. When we are presented to Christ on that great wedding day to come, we will be presented to him as a redeemed people, a cleaned people, so that when he looks at his bride, he will see his own attributes, his own purity, his own glory shining back at him, and he will rejoice. Christ's wisdom, his goodness, his patience, his faithfulness, his righteousness, he's going to see that in us, and he will receive us as his bride. We will have been made amazing by the blood of his cross. But even now, in this life, while we're still living in the muck of sin, Christ still loves us deeply. Why? My favorite illustration of this, I've used it countless times, is the baseball illustration. I can go to Walmart, and I can buy a baseball for whatever baseballs are running now, $10, something like that. And it's just a regular baseball. Right? It's just a baseball. But if I take that baseball and I get it signed by Justin Upton or A.J. Burnett or Mike Trout or one of these other all-star baseball players, what happens to the value of that ordinary baseball? 
it skyrockets because they've put their name on it. Well, so also God the Father has put his name on the people of God. We're told in the Bible that we were chosen from the foundations of the world, that he has declared us to be his. He has put his mark on us. Indeed, through Jesus Christ, we have his very spirit dwelling inside of us. So when Jesus Christ looks at us today, who are in this earth, in the muck of our sin, but are a part of his bride, he sees the mark of his father upon us. He sees how the mercy of his Father is going to be glorified in us. And he loves us richly and he loves us deeply beyond anything we can imagine. Jesus Christ delights in his bride. And husbands, that's the example that has been set for us. We could say the same thing about the example that God has set for us as a father. How does God the Father feel about his children? Zechariah 3.17, I love this. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you in his love, and he will exult over you with loud singing. Mount Hermon, have you ever heard a happy father Sing. I think about the times when I've been somewhere where kids were doing something special and and the parents became overcome with joy and, and they were yelling out, that's my boy or that's my girl. Here we're told that God is rejoicing over his children. He's exulting over them with loud singing. What do you think it's like when Almighty God, before whom the universe is as a speck of dust, sings? What's that like? We're told that our Father sings with joy over his children. I love this. Psalm 147.11 But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Isn't that amazing language? It's not because of anything in us, but because our God is love, because our God is full of love, we have this awesome truth. Our Father takes pleasure in His children. He delights and finds joy in His holy heart in us. Think about all our sins. Think about how rebellious we can be. Think about how frustratingly slow we are to believe and to repent and to obey. If any father in this world has the right to have a default attitude of frustration with his kids, it's that father. And yet that's not his default attitude. God's attitude towards his children is one of joy. Yes, our sins grieve him. Oh, don't grieve the heart of your father. Your sins grieve him. But that grief is only compounded because he loves us so much and his joy in us is so deep. Our God takes pleasure in those who fear his name. And that is the example set for us who are fathers. Do you take pleasure in your children? A second reason that men should delight in their wives and children 
is that they are gifts to us from the very hand of God. In other words, our rejoicing in our wife, our rejoicing in our children is connected to our joy in God himself. Our family, big or small, no kids, 20 kids, whatever it looks like, our family has been designed for us. It is a gift to us. Men, is this how you view your wife? Do you view her as a gift from your father who loves you and loves her to you? Have you ever considered the fact that your wife was handmade for you? God formed her. God knitted her together. And in accordance with his plan, he he fashioned her. He fashioned her for his own glory. He fashioned her to be just as he wanted her to be. And he fashioned her with you in mind. What a thought that God handmade your wife with you in mind. We dishonor God when we slight such an amazing gift. The same can be said about kids. What do the Psalms say? Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Your children were handcrafted by God and then entrusted into your care. Do you rejoice in them? And are you not thankful for the privilege that God has given you to have such an important role and stewardship in their lives? Third, third reason that we should delight in our wife and children is that there is so much in them that should cause us to have delight. There is so much in our wife, so much in our kids that ought to cause us to rejoice. Now, I need to be very clear about this. We should not delight in that which is sinful in our wife or in our children. If your wife has a sharp tongue that can destroy people, and you think it's just amazing to watch her tongue work as she just tears people down, won't you delight in that? Your wife has a tendency to lead you into some kind of sin, whatever sin it might be, don't delight in that. I think we're more prone to do this with our kids, especially when they're young. That cute little toddler. And that toddler doesn't get his way. The toddler starts stomping his feet and makes that little frowny face. And, and sometimes we can't keep ourselves from laughing because even in their moment of pride and anger, they still look so cute. And we want to we laugh and we want to smile. Don't rejoice in the sin of your kids. It's not good for them. It's not good for your family. Your little girl crosses her arms, starts to make that that pitiful little whimpering sound, and you're tempted to say, oh, isn't that cute when she does that? No, it's not. At least it shouldn't be. Don't delight in that, which is sin. I've seen this recently quite a bit. People laughing at little kids using foul language. The kids don't understand what the words mean. But somebody, parents, other people have taught these little kids foul language. And then they laugh and laugh at these little kids. You find that funny? It's not something we should take delight in. 
But that being said, there is much that is good in our wife and in our kids that ought to cause us to rejoice and love and praise God for them. Our wife and our kids are image bearers of God. And in so many ways, we get to see expressions of our glorious God in them. So I'm going to use the example of my wife. I warned her, so she knew it was coming. Um, My wife is very creative, for example. I am not creative at all. I am the opposite of crafty. When I look at an empty wall, I don't see picture possibilities. I see a wall. Um, My wife is amazingly creative, and I get blown away when I see what she can do. And in that way, my wife is a living expression to me every day of the creativity of my God. In her, I see an attribute of my God that is missing pretty significantly in my own life. Or, attention to detail. I have to confess to you, to my shame, that I stink at attention to detail. That's why we almost never have a bulletin on Sunday that doesn't have mistakes of some kind. I can read through it five times. There will always be something I miss, something I overlooked. I'm just not good with attention to detail. My wife has amazing attention to detail. And guess what? So does my God. Not one detail escapes his attention. Not one detail escapes his sovereign will. I see an expression of my God that I need in my life, and I get to see it in in her. Or another example. My memory is terrible. It's terrible. Whether, Whether it's remembering my own past. People start telling these stories from their childhood. I had a great childhood. I didn't like block it out because there was trauma there or anything. I mean, I had an unusually blessed childhood. I just don't remember things from my past. I I struggle with people's names. Where I put my wallet and keys is a daily struggle for me. I think my memory is unusually affected by the fall. But in the kindness of God, he gave me a wife who both hears and remembers And how often she has helped me and saved me from pretty embarrassing situations because of her memory. Guess who else has an awesome memory? Guess who else always hears and always remembers? Guess who does not have a memory problem? It is my God. And I see my God expressed in the way he fashioned and formed my wife and in the way she exhibits him in her Life And I even haven't begun talking about her, her character, the moral aspects of my wife, her kindness and sacrificial spirit and strong discernment and strong sense of, of righteousness. But I know that God has called me to spend my life getting to better and know that woman because the more I study and know her, the more I see God's image in her and find reasons to not only delight in her, but to grow in my delight in God. How about you, husband? Can I encourage you to take some time soon to just start jotting down some of the ways you see attributes of your great God expressed in your wife? 
See written down in your own handwriting all the reasons you have to rejoice in the wife that God has given to you. And we could follow the same line of thinking with our kids. Indeed, as we see our kids develop and grow, we can't help but marvel at God's image in them. Their first word. Don't we celebrate when they speak that first intelligible word? And we ought to celebrate because the ability to be a person of words is evidence that we are created in the image of God who spoke the universe into existence, whose son Jesus Christ is the word made flesh. We are image bearers because we are people of word. When our child says that first word, we rejoice. As we watch our kids take their first steps, as we see them grow and overcome challenges, as we see see them begin to learn and master subjects, as we see their talents begin to, to come forth, their own particular gifts, we are seeing expressions of the glory of our God. One great example. Have you ever noticed how great our children are, especially when they're young, to forgive and let go? As we get older, we struggle with that. Our God doesn't struggle with that. Our God forgives and he forgives completely. And we see that in the way our children, I'm so thankful our kids, are great at forgiving and letting go. Even if your wife is an unbeliever, even if your children have not yet come to Christ, they bear something of the image of God and are an expression of him. There are things in their lives that point to God that should cause you, brother, to delight in them and to rejoice in them. And when you have a Christian wife, and when you have children who do come to share your faith in Christ, then all the more God will give you reasons to see His glories in their lives so that you can embrace them as a gift from His hand and sing. Now, there is an idolatrous way to do this. There is a way to delight in my wife and kids that makes them idols in my heart. If my delight ends upon my wife, if my, if my delight terminates upon my children, and that's where it ends, I'm not delighting in them as I ought. They are not to be a competing delight for my delight in Christ. Brothers, your family can never be for you what Christ can be for you. Your wife and kids are not the fountain of endless joy. They will fail you. They will disappoint you. Christ must be your chief delight. Christ must be your chief treasure. The one in whose love you ultimately trust. Don't let your family be an idol in your life. But seeing this danger, some people have responded in a way that I think is just as wicked, if not more so. They've basically limited themselves to finding joy in nothing but God. These people are afraid of enjoying anything too much. They they don't want to make an idol out of anything in this world. And so they basically turn to a kind of stoicism that says, I I can't get too attached to anything. I can't take too much delight in anything. I must save all of my delight for, for God. They're afraid of giving their heart to anything, lest they make an idol out of it. And in doing so, they fail to embrace the good gifts that God has given to them as an expression of his love. Douglas Wilson says, If I turn every gift God gives to me over in my hands suspiciously, 
looking for the idol trap that I'm not rejoicing in my God as I ought to rejoice. And I think he's right. There is a better way to respond to the danger of making your family an idol. Two biblical ways. To keep your delight in your wife and your children God-centered. Number one, learn to delight in God in his gifts. Who was Adam delighting in in Genesis 2? Eve or God? Both. (laughs) Both. As he received her from his hand. Don't disconnect the gifts from the giver, but love the giver more because of the gifts. So, So for example, earlier I talked about delighting at a trip to the beach. What am I delighting in as I look out over the ocean? What am I delighting in? I'm delighting in the vastness of it all. I'm delighting in the beauty of it all. I'm delighting in how that view of the ocean causes my heart to wander and causes me to see how small I am in comparison to that vast ocean. Well, friends, that's God's handiwork. That's something of his nature, his vastness, his bigness being communicated to me. I can love God and enjoy God in my enjoyment of that view. When I give gifts to my kids, too often the gifts I give are store-bought. I wish I was more handy, crafty, build something. I'm just not... Every gift that God gives us is handmade and handmade with us in mind. There is something special about handmade gifts. Would you agree with that? Right? There, there is something personal in a handmade gift. There's, there's something of the heart, the love, the character of the person that is expressed in a handmade gift. So it is with every gift that God has given you in this world, including your wife, men, including your kids. They are an expression of God's character to you. He's put himself, something of himself, in this gift. So love God in them. Rejoice over them in such a way that your joy redounds to God and second very practically what does that look like well it at least means this let all of your delight in God's gifts and especially your delight in your wife and kids let it always be accompanied by thanksgiving let it always be accompanied by thanksgiving thanksgiving should be a mark of our constant daily lives Ephesians 5 verse 20 says that we're to give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 2 7, we're told to abound in thanksgiving. And that word abound means to overflow. Picture a volcano and it. And it Your life is to be a life of, of thanksgiving. Everywhere, you're just abounding in thanksgiving, abounding in thanksgiving. It's it's an attitude of gratitude that cannot be contained. The pressure of it builds up inside of us. We must erupt with prayer and with singing and with praise and with joy. Do you abound in thanksgiving for the gifts of God to you? Do you abound in it? And men, do you particularly abound in thanksgiving to God for your wife and your kids? I'm running out of time, so we're going to cruise through. Number four. Number four. We need to delight in our wife and kids because our culture needs men who delight 
and their wife and their kids. Part of man's rebellion against God is this propensity to want to denigrate God's gifts. We have a tendency in our, in our rebellion against God as a human race to want to denigrate his gifts and especially his gift of the family. In our day, we are already hearing calls being sounded for marriage to end as an institution. We have editorials being written saying that kids being raised by loving parents have an unfair advantage over those who are not. And in our own community, there are so many fatherless homes, so many children abandoned by their dads, And part of being salt and light in this world is showing the world how to be thankful for God's gifts, how to embrace God's gifts rather than disregard them and turn away from them. Mount Hermon, right now, our culture is completely confused about what manhood should look like. You ask most little boys, what is the ideal man? What do they picture? They picture a a professional athlete. Maybe as they get older, they picture somebody who's uh, successful in in business. Our day, manhood's beginning to have no meaning at all, right? It's something fluid. You can be a man one day and and a woman the next. Our culture is utterly confused on what it means to be a man. But but here is what we find in the Bible. Real men are those who seek to protect and to provide for and to lead those entrusted to their care. And that means that for most men, real manhood means being a family man. One of my favorite Andrew Peterson songs says this. I am a family man. I traded in my Mustang for a minivan. This is not what I was headed for when I began. This was not my plan. But I am a family man. But everything I had to lose came back a thousand times in you. You fill me up with love. You fill me up with love and you help me stand. Because I am a family man. I'm saving my vacation time for Disneyland. This is not what I was headed for when I began. This was not my plan. But it's so much better than. Men, can you resonate with that last line? We need, we have a culture full of boys and young men who they're not thinking in terms of family. They're not thinking in terms of husband, father, when they think about their goals and ambitions. And we need to show them that as great as their ambitions might be, there is something so much better than. The joy of leading and loving a wife and kids. Let me close with this last point. Men, let us delight in our wife and kids because our wife and kids need to know that we delight in them. Isn't that true? Let me ask you a question, brothers. Is is not the fact that your God loves you And that your God rejoices over you and delights in you a source of strength in your life. Men, I'm asking you, when when things are tough and things get hard for you, is it not true 
That you go back to the heart of God for you. The fact that your God loves you. The confidence you have in His commitment to you. And that is where you find your courage. That is where you find your strength. If you're a Christian, you do that. If you don't do that, you need to check something. Because that's what Christians do. Nehemiah 8.10, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. What is our strength, men? Is it not the joy of our Lord? The joy that we have in Him, the joy that He has in Himself and in His mighty works, but also the fact that our God has joy in us. Is our strength. He loves me. And I can't get over it. Men, when you communicate to your wife and your kids the delight you have for them, it can be an amazing source of strength and confidence and security in their lives. I'm going to skip to the end. Okay. Communicate your delight. What that looks like for you, I I don't know. But communicate your delight. Maybe it's hugs and kisses. Some families are more huggy-feely than other families. Maybe it's gifts. Maybe it's words of encouragement. Sometimes it's patient endurance. But let us delight in our families and let us communicate our delight to our wife and kids. And here's where we have to land. You will never be able to delight in your wife and your kids rightly if Christ doesn't have your heart. If you have not embraced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and come to follow him and to live in his love for you, you will never be able to delight in your family as you ought. Do you want to be a blessing to your family? I say this to everybody in the room. Do you want to be a blessing to others in your life? You cannot overflow with what you don't have. You cannot give love and patience and mercy and joy if you haven't received it. You must be connected to Christ, the living water, the well that never runs dry. And as you feed on Him, as you trust in Him, as you lay hold of His promises, you'll find what you need that in to then love and bless and rejoice appropriately in your wife and your kids. And so I say to every one of us, let us all trust and delight in the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we delight in his precious gifts to us as well. Let's pray.